Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film More Beautiful for Having Been Broken. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen the film, just be aware that there may be discussions of the plot and there may be spoilers. Enjoy. There ought to be a law, get the sheriff on the phone. Lord have mercy, how she even get them bridges on? That honky-tonk, but don't get gone. You're wearing a, uh, a Britney-style mic, I see. I am, yeah. I've been... I've been... Um running around doing crazy dance moves all day. It's been amazing. Is is that mic actually because you're a gamer? It is. Well, this is the microphone that I wear when we do our um, our gaming sessions. Oh, so it is, yeah. I never look at your face, see, because I, I'm not cool enough to have two monitors like a real man. <laughs> um, and I also, I also use it at work so that I can um, easily mute my calls. Um, given that I, I spend a lot of time on video conferences. It's very important and... to be able to mute your colleagues. <laughs> and to mute yourself. And to mute yourself. Yep. Self-censorship is the name of the game. Yeah, very, very important today, these days. Which is why you know, we, we didn't do an episode last week. We decided to censor ourselves. Because yes. the world does not really need our, you know, as I said to you before, our audio format shitposting. <laughs> exactly. It does not need that at the moment. But right now, you know, maybe it's time for us to get back on the wagon yeah. and deliver more of the trash content that you all so desperately crave. Back on the paddy wagon. Have you seen <laughs> the, the paddy wagon? The paddy wagon? In um, in Ireland, it's like one of those horrible tourist coaches that they have and it's all like painted green and with cartoon, massive cartoon leprechauns on it. I see. I don't know. I don't know where it actually even goes because I've never actually got on it. But it's like a joke me and my dad have. If any one of us goes to Ireland, take a picture of the paddy wagon. Um, because because paddy wagon it's slang for a police vehicle, isn't it? A, Is like it? a like a um like a van that they put people in. Oh. Um. So well, that's pretty soon it... when we defund the police, they're going to be driving like Fred Flintstone cars around. So hopefully that won't apply. <laughs> You'll have their um, their police horses just going, it's a living. <laughs> they'll be allowed to keep their jobs, but because there'll be so little money, there won't be any proper resources. They'll have like bananas for drunchins. Yes, yeah, exactly. Wooden horses for horses. There'll be, you know, like those toy horses that kids have where it's like actually very creepy and it's just a horse's head and a long bit of wood. It'll be like that and they'll be running around going, please respect us. Right, right. Yeah, I get you. I get you. So, and that is why we need to defund the police. Just think of the hilarity that will ensue. Yeah, because mainly because it would be funny, not because it's the right thing to do. No, it, purely for the comedic value. That's why we're after defunding the police. <laughs> yeah, that they don't actually have police uniforms. They've just covered themselves in black body paint and yeah. then just put a little bit of Pritt stick over where the where their badge would be. <laughs> Yeah, or it's like, you know those tuxedo t-shirts? It's like one of those, but for a cop uniform. Yes. It's got police written on it, but police is spelt wrong. <laughs> yeah. Polite. Like this. <laughs> and they've got the hats, those like plastic hats that they sell in those British souvenir shops near the Trocadero. Yes. And they're slightly yeah. too small for their heads, and they're just like perched on top. Speaking of the Trocadero, Sega World... Was oh my god, Sega World. A sort of theme parky arcade thing. Did you ever amazing. go to Sega World? Yeah, once or twice. It was it was incredible. I think I wasn't old enough to go on the roller coasters though, or maybe or I was the too rides, scared. Yeah. There were there were rides, weren't there? Yeah, because they weren't like proper roller coasters, were they? But they were sort of like virtual reality things. And there was a little haunted house ride where they did like um, spraying water on you or, or or like blowing air at you to indicate that there's a monster nearby. Um, those kind of things. Um, it was it was a thing. Yeah. Apparently it's there, It's still there, but it's abandoned. Oh, man. So you could get in there and fart around. I'd love that. 
That'd be should incredible. We, we should we go that. to Should we go to Sega World? Yes, let's do it. Apparently, there are lots of different Sega worlds and Sega parks. I'm just looking at this. I'm fully on board with this. London's Sega theme park kicked off at the height of its mascot Sonic the Hedgehog's popularity on September 7th, 1996. Featured a number of indoor rides, coin-operated arcade machines, and a Sega merch shop. Closed in 2011 after long-running disputes with the landlord over money. (sighs) Should have just let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> in 2000 they renamed the whole establishment Funland Ugh, rubbish that is a rubbish name Funland yeah that's what... oh mate you want to go to Funland <laughs> it's a, like a horrible pickup line isn't it hey baby yeah. want to go to Funland <laughs> that's like on the level population of... you and me <laughs> oh no that's like asking someone if they want to go to the fuck bunker <laughs> Maybe that's what they should open it up as next. Yeah. Going <laughs> to want to come play Sonic in my fuck bunker. Yeah, and it could have, be voiced by Ben Schwartz, like the movie. He'd do that for a laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then you exactly. get there, it's just Jim Carrey, and he's just like living there. He's hanging out as like in character as Doctor Robotnik all the time to like method act for the next movie. Doctor Robotnik, more like. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. You haven't seen the new Sonic movie, have you? I haven't. No, I oh. really should. It's well, it's well worth watching. But at the at the end, spoiler alert: there's a bit that implies that there's going to be another film. Well, it doesn't imply it. It basically says like a to be continued thing, and then Tails is there. I see. Get a bit of Tails action on the go, do yeah. we? Who was always my favourite character. So, yeah. So I, I was a Knuckles boy. Uh, of course, you were. Yeah. Knuckles, Knuckles is king. Yep, you love a good echidna. I do love an echidna. They are fascinating, fascinating creatures. Sort of like rounded, angry, snuffly hedgehogs. Yeah, snuffly hedgehogs with a big pointy nose. Like what would happen if you took a porcupine and an anteater and force-fed its scones? (laughs) Made a panteater. <laughs> is that, is that, that's the sort of foie gras of the um, the hedgehog kingdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a delicacy. Yeah. Would you um, eat knuckles? That's the would question. You, would you eat knuckles? No, I love him too much. No, I would be. I not. would be good friends with my surly echidna king. <laughs> Nothing but respect for my king, my echidna king, <laughs> my echidna king. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so we watched a movie, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, so speaking of things with terrible names. Um, this is a very strange film. Yeah. Um, more beautiful for having been broken. Yeah, it's a long name, and the length of that name does not justify itself. So how did you find this movie? Because well, at, no, sorry, correct. At the moment, it's sitting at 295 rankings only on imdb i have only seen one uh like professional review of it um and so how did you how did you come across this this movie well it's really interesting because some um a listener sent us a review about a one-star review of it from peter bradshaw in the guardian um saying oh this sounds terrible and this looks right up your street <laughs> this is the kind of <laughs> shit that you guys like um, this is our so, content you know but by turn i'm then i'm really curious as to how peter bradshaw came across it because it didn't doesn't seem to have had a cinematic release or to be really what one would describe as mainstream cinema but having dug a little deeper it seems like this is a um this is a, a cult film from a director who has a cult following and has made you know, a bunch of lesbian films that have a particular audience and a fan base. Um, It's just that there's obviously a lot of cinema like this that never quite makes it to the mainstream. So from that point of view, I did go into this finding very, very intrigued by it from that point of view. And then thinking that actually we should probably be talking about more of this kind of stuff, shouldn't we? We shouldn't just be talking about mainstream cinema all the time. But um, this stuff isn't always that easy to find, is it? So, in a way, I'm glad that we came across it from that point of view, right? Yes, yeah. It's 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 interesting seeing these movies that kind of... They have their 
audience and they find it difficult to break out from that audience for some reason or another. Um, so like you said, you know, uh, Nicole Conn is a, is a filmmaker who has a very niche support, I suppose. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting to, to see something that's, that's kind of outside of, um, outside of what you just see coming up on Netflix, really. Yeah, for sure. Because you know there there is an element of homogeneity to what comes out on Netflix, isn't there? You know when you think about these kind of films existing and these kind of auteur, writer, director figures who've been doing this for a long time as well, and I have mad respect for that. I think it's really really brilliant when people have that kind of passion and they know the stories that they want to tell. To tell, they know how to tell them, and they know their audience as well. So we're very much interlopers here, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, um, cause I, I did a little bit of reading on Nicole Conn, um, uh, after, after watching the movie, I wanted, to, I wanted to go into it fresh as without, without too much context around it and then look at the context afterwards. So, um, she directed a film called Eleanor Undone, um, which seems to have been the, the, the biggest film that she's, she's released. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, has done other things, um around that as well um and it 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 is interesting just to to see a filmmaker who you know there's a there's a clear style here and and some clear thematic through roads um and yeah it's, it's it's interesting isn't it to 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 see that kind of thing yeah definitely and in in terms of style um i think the stylistic elements of it were actually the best thing about it for me. I think you could tell um, that she'd gone for a particular style in terms of the music and especially the dance scenes and the aesthetic of all of that. There was a certain... She was clearly trying to give it an edge of sort of of mystery, but also a kind of spirituality as well. And I I really appreciated that. And I thought the music was very good and it did give it a real sense of atmosphere and foreboding that you know made you think yes you, you can tell that this is one person's vision and from that point of view i'd be would be interested to watch some of her other films and to see if that follows what i enjoyed was seeing my boy french stewart in a movie again french stewart yeah french stewart aka harry from third rock from the sun wait his real name is french hi his, i'm french his real name is french stewart yeah i thought that was the name of his character from third rock from the sun <laughs> the french man called stewart. the french man called stewart no um yeah so he he played harry in third rock from the sun an underrated wonderful sitcom did you watch third rock from the sun I, that that's i feel like that's one of those shows that was always on tv that i never actually properly watched like you'd be channel hopping and like it's all third rock from the sun's on it's 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 gorgeous. I love I love that show so much. It's Oh god, I'm looking at this right now. The horrible graphics, the, like <laughs> word art style imagery. This was nineteen ninety six, man. It was prime time for that. Yeah. Um and I and know so, young young Joseph Gordon Levitt was in it. Yep, you had um Joseph Gordon Levitt, John Lithgow, um, Kristen Johnston and French Stewart played these aliens who were living on Earth. Um in a, it's kind of a Mork and Mindy style situation, I suppose, um, and it's it's a it's a lovely little show. I, I I want that to come to a streaming service that I can watch. That's what I want. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah. So French Stewart is one of the family members in that, and he he turns up in other things every so often. Um. But yeah, this is the first time I've seen him in a while, and I was like, ah, oh, French Stewart's still around. Yeah. Get on you, lad. Um, so which one was he? And this was he, the cowboy man. He was the cowboy man. Yeah. He was his performance was quite good. I thought quite competent. He was an appropriately cowboy cowboy man. Um, and the other sort of like name that stood out for me was um, one of the other primary uh, male characters in this, played by Bruce Davidson. He played played a character called Colin. That's the old the wise old dad man. The wise old dad man. <laughs> wise old dad man <laughs> yeah. who who plays the the senator in the X Men movies who turns into Goop. Oh, I don't, right, I don't okay. know if you remember that from from the original X Men. No, he's a, he he he's a senator who's all like mutants are bad. We should get rid of the mutants, um, and then he gets. Um, they try to force him to become a mutant, and he turns into a goop monster. Of course, um, because do do? this is what happens. Um, so it was nice to see him again and be like, "Hey, goop man, goop senator." Yeah, 
And again, if there are people that you recognize in these kind of cult films, it does tend to make you think, oh, there's that guy. Maybe it's not, an, you know, it's not an amateur affair. This is a professional thing. And like kind of why aren't people recognized more widely for doing stuff like this and doing mainstream stuff as well? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a weird movie. Isn't yeah. It? Very strange. Film. <laughs> it's a very strange movie. Um, there's all of these interconnecting, um, interconnecting pathways to it. Um, and I, I know that when you first told me about it, whoever had sent it on to you had described it to you as being Ru- the room-esque. Um, and I'm not sure. Yeah, if- well, that was what um, Peter Bradshaw's review said. But right, I, okay. I think on reflection, his review is terrible because it's like, it, he clearly knows nothing about the context. And I, I would really be curious as to how he got a hold of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, like did did he did did he suddenly dream of this film? He had some kind of <laughs> terrifying premonition to quote Garth Marenghi. Um and 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 decide, right, I'm going to go shit on this movie in my in my big <laughs> in my big publication. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really odd. It's like what did it do to you? Yeah. Um and you know, usually I I don't mind a bad review, you know. I'm always I'm always happy to see someone shitting on a film if it's funny. <laughs> or if, if it's some, if it's something in the mainstream that needs to be taken down a peg or two, perhaps. See, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of in. I I really hate. Uh, Tarantino says what? <laughs> I I really hate bad reviews, like vicious reviews. Um, and, yeah. and but this isn't even vicious. This is just yeah, it's just bad. Yeah, it's I, a bad bad review. Yeah, and and so. I don't know. Some of the stuff that you said in it, I think, was pretty nasty. And and I, I, I'm not really on board with those kind of negative reviews unless there is a, an ideological reason why the work is abhorrent. Um, yeah. You know, like uh, it being made by the kind of people who are protesting lockdown in the US. <laughs> the, the kind of people who are furious that a statue has been thrown into a river but have not <laughs> yeah. spoken up about various different injustices that are much more justified <laughs> being discussed um yeah, exactly. yeah those kind of people but but the all lives matter type but you know that the, there's some ideologies that you put in film you know like a, a true a true work of, of fascism for instance um or those those very um anti-lbgt movies um that, that that get made by the christian right in america where you can kind of understand oh, right um you know this is this is a, an abhorrent work and and it should be dissected from a critical perspective in that way i i'm not really on board with with um with reviews that really uh, are vicious to films based on something other than that and i i hope that's come across in in our podcast is i've tried not to be too mean to films unless there is some kind of ideological reasoning behind why it needs to be criticized um no i think as much as we we like to joke we like to laugh around we like to joke around and we do like to kind of take the piss out of films if they're not great but i don't think that what we do is mean-spirited in, in any case is it? i'm trying to think of like films that we have given bad reviews to i don't think we've ever shit on anything i think we always do try and find a positive don't we yeah i think it's been um you know it's been things like wills and kate or twilight or <laughs> wills and kate the movie or my God. or um or 50 shades for instance has been one which oh, we God. we did yeah. give a bad review but again there was that this is a but there is an ideological objection yeah, to that th- isn't it there is something creepy and nasty about the the underlying story there which i think is worth discussing um yeah but also it's like a massive capitalist fetish exercise yes yeah yeah exactly Um, look at how much money in speedboats i've got let me tie you up in whips and chains (laughs) that's my my summary of 50 shades of gray and you know more beautiful for having been broken right there are a lot of things that are about it that don't necessarily land and it's it's as i said it's a strange film and you can tell that it's not a mainstream movie and a lot of the a lot of the dialogue um i thought wasn't particularly effective there were some quite clunky lines and bits bits in it that didn't really gel but you know beyond all of that stuff 
there's a lot of interesting stuff about it, whereas there is nothing interesting about a film like Fifty Shades of Grey, you know? Yes. So this is yeah. way above that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and it's, it's, it's interesting because it does have this almost TV movie quality to it in terms of how it's filmed. Um, yeah. And, and the way that the score sort of ties into that, um, the way that it's directed as well. A lot of This, this is, is one of those films where you're, you're channel hopping at like 11.30 at night, or maybe even it's like past midnight and you know you should have gone to bed. Not, not that I've been to bed at any time after 10.05pm in a good three to four years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when I was a younger man and I was carefree and I'd stay up drinking... I would watch a lot of shitty films very, very late at night. Um, <laughs> when I was a young warthog, I would watch the TV, and this is the kind of film that would be on some obscure channel, you know, 50 to 60 channels above BBC One at 11.30 at night. This is the kind of film that would be on there. Yes, yeah. Um, just before the foreign language news 24-hour stations, you'd find a, a, a channel that's showing this kind of film. Um, yeah. But within those, within those trappings, you know, the kind of the occasional sort of soft focus or 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 crossfade, um, the kind of flat angles. Um, there's some weird, interesting moments. So you know, the 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 the, the dancing, that kind of direction, um, a storyline that branches out in some really weird ways. It's it's very odd. It's 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 much more complex than your usual um your usual sort of tv movie even though it kind of looks and feels the same way um i suppose yeah for sure and it it did actually remind me a little bit of that film secret obsession that we did that netflix one but i think this is better than that even though it doesn't appear to be at first glance because, as you say, there are those layers to it. There are these levels. There's all that interlocking stuff, and that was a kind of by the numbers thriller. But um, atmosphere-wise, it, this felt kind of similar, just as a point of comparison for something else we've talked about. Yeah, and I, I think Secret Obsession was more melodramatic in its approach. Um, you know, it had the genuine threat of murder by crazy guy, um, and it really tied into that whereas here it's it's much more mellow and much more friendly it all, it almost feels like what was the movie about the the new yorker going to the new zealand farm house and setting up oh a B&B? god i forgot about that one what the hell was that <laughs> what was it called um, falling in love falling in love yeah that's in right with two ends yeah it, it feels t- t- tonally it almost feels similar to that and although there's a lot more going on you know, there's more at stake here than, oh, I've won an in. Oh, there's a goat. <laughs> Which is not a thing. <laughs> I wish it was a thing. I'd love Congratulations. to. Congratulations. You have won an in. I'd love to win an in and go and do that instead of the current hellscape that I'm in. I um, think you and me would be great at running an in. I think we should definitely set up a and b and then we should go on that horrible Channel 4 show where all of the B&B owners try and outdo each other by being the biggest bastards. Have you, have you seen? <laughs> yeah. Have you, yeah, I've seen it. It's called Bastard and Bastard. Ba- Bastard and Bastard. That's, that's what B&B stands for, yeah. Um, yeah. What's it called? Uh, oh, Four in a Bed. Four in a Bed. Have you seen Four in a Bed? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. It's, it's, is it well, a sort of Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, but for horrible it's, B&B it, owners? It's Come Dine With Me, but for horrible B&B owners. So... It's 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 um four sets of B and B owners, and then they each spend a night in an, in one of the other contestants' B and B. Yeah, exactly. And whoever survives <laughs> is is king of the B and Bs. Um, and then they stay overnight, and then they they judge the the quality of the B and B, the quality of the breakfast, and they 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 not only score it, but they then also um put down how much money they would be willing to spend on the room. And whoever gets closest to not losing any money versus what they've charged, or who gets paid, um, yeah, whoever gets paid closest to what the full amount is wins. Um, but obviously, these B and B owners are the kind of people who are like, "Oh, there's a minuscule amount of dust on this banister. Take ten pound <laughs> off for that." <laughs> Your these mushrooms as part of my breakfast weren't cooked in precisely the way that I like. Twenty pound off the bill. My sausages oh. are touching my beans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um 
and uh and yeah so they're a lot of the time the people on it are like the worst people in the world and i i wonder how many people come out of that show with more people visiting their b&b and how many people go oh yeah i remember that b&b the people who run that are bellends and like let's yeah. let's go to the one down the road who <laughs> haven't been on television being a dickhead to people who work in the same industry as them um <laughs> but yeah so yeah I, that's that's the weird thing about those kind of shows isn't it it's kind of trying to create intra-industry rivalries between people who really should just be uplifting each other yes yeah um and um and yeah so i, c- I could imagine us owning a b&b going on that and being like oh this is really nice we'll pay the full amount and we'll just do that for everybody yeah because we're not and then everyone, everyone would like us yeah and then loads of people would come to our b&b yeah but no what what i had in mind was more like the um the inn in gilmore girls ah uh, okay okay so we have to decide which one of us is Lorelai and which one of us is Michelle. Mm. Which one? Which one of us is more likely to own two massive Chow Chows? <laughs> I think that's definitely you. Or what are they called? Le Corbusier and Papin. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I'll, I'll be. I'll be. I'll be the surly French man. I can do that. I. I think you would be. Um, surely your hat man who who runs the diner. What's his name? Oh, Luke, yeah. Luke, the yeah. dick with the hat, as my dad yeah. calls Because <laughs> my um, his partner, Jackie, has been watching Gilmore Girls again, and um, Claire is very happy about that, obviously. But yeah, every time they talk about it, my dad puts on his backwards hat and pretends to be like Luke. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I could see you as Luke, surly, <coughs> good, at, good at cooking, wears flannel shirts, yeah. loves a baseball cap. You, okay, aside, Scott Patterson, who played Luke, used to be a pro baseball player. He made it all the way to AAA and was just shy of the majors, but he never quite made it. And then he became Gilmore Then he became Girl. Luke. The Gilmore Man. <laughs> the Gilmore Man. <laughs> that sounds like a creepy like horror film. <laughs> if, you say, if you say his name three times in a mirror and then put your cap on backwards, he appears. Yep, and pour coffee on you. <laughs> Which again sounds like the kind of creepy villain that I would be in yeah, that kind of horror. That's, film. What, that's what you'd do. Um, <laughs> anyway, there, there's no there's no creepy villains in in um, more beautiful of having been broken. No, um, there isn't really a villain as such, is there? Well, that, apart from the the former, the one who's like turns out to be the lover's mum, but is also like some kind of former secret agent. The whole secret agent side of it is a bit clumsy. Yeah, I didn't care for that. Um, I felt like there like was... Like they were sitting around the table and suddenly he, like the mum just ruins everything by going, she's FBI! She's FBI and we <laughs> slept together. Um, yeah. It's like, geez, that's that's a good way to be a spy. It's, to, it's, the, it's the James Bond school of being a secret agent, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's, hey, I'm in a bar. Let's go get drunk and have sex. By the way, I'm in the FBI. <laughs> I think James Bond has a lot to answer for. <laughs> he's a very, it's a very bad spy, isn't he? He goes around telling everyone his name. Um, honestly, it's a terrible, terrible secret agent. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really care for all of that, and it, it, I think it's fair to say that it doesn't really add much to the plot, and it doesn't really go anywhere apart from adding that personal drama later on, yeah. um, which isn't really necessary. No, it's not necessary at all. Really, this is a film about love between two people and their their child, um, or one of them's child who then becomes the becomes like a mother figure to it. It's about their relationship with him as well and how they come together. But it does the thing that all romantic films do, which is to create an obstacle to break them apart so that they can come back together at the end. But the way that they got they came back together literally two minutes later was that the. Um, the nasty mum who was FBI went and found her and then brought her back. And then suddenly it's 10 years later and they're all happy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it all felt a bit, that all felt a bit forced, um, which is a bit of a shame. And and I think they could have done it without it being either. You could have gone down either route that she is an FBI agent actually investigating this woman who turns out to be her mum, or she's been in this town before and has had a relationship with the mother. Yeah. I think either one of them would have been enough uh, orchestrated tension to cause that rift that the film needed. But when you combine them both together, it felt 
almost soap opera-y. Because it was um, hinting at all of those things and then sort of executed them all at once. Yeah, which was... It fired all of the Chekhov's guns. <laughs> all of the, It was a Chekhov's machine gun and each bullet was a yeah. plot point. Um, Chekhov heard about, Chekhov in his grave, he heard about this film and he was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Fucking loving it. Someone's finally done what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah. This is what I wanted all along. Um yeah, and so yeah, it felt a bit it felt a bit unnecessary all of that. But I th- I think what works about this film is the core relationship, I suppose. Um Yeah. So, you know, you you you've got um you've got Mackenzie, the FBI agent who's on sort of on leave. Um then you've got Samantha. Yeah. What what was it that she did? She did something wrong. So she, was she responsible for someone's death or something like that? Um, there, there were lots of flashbacks where yeah, you got that kind of atmospheric yeah. sense of it. As you say, in kind of a soap opera-y way. But it, I, don't, I don't remember it ever being fully explained. Not that it really mattered. No, no. And I don't, I don't know whether I missed it, but I, I think it was hinting towards something like that. And so she's been put on this kind of administrative leave. Um and, and ends up going back to this back to this town. Um and then you've got um you've got Samantha. Um, who is the mother of Freddy? Um, and I'm not going to lie, I, I was a, I was a fan of old Freddy. Yeah, um, obviously he's played by um, played by a kid who is um, differently abled as well, and um, which is really really great. And there obviously aren't enough opportunities in cinema for people to provide that kind of representation. So that was fantastic. And I thought he was yeah, I thought he was great. The whole thing of you know him being this lovable character you really really believe that as well and that didn't feel forced and i think that was what was so that was the central thing about it you you absolutely believe that they could all, they could be so in love with him and he could be such this just this wonderful presence in their lives that really came across well i thought yes yeah for sure and i i think sometimes it did feel a little bit ham-fisted um because i am a cynical horrible man with no heart apparently um but sometimes it did feel a bit like yes we know he's great because he's a charismatic actor and you've written a charismatic character you don't need to yeah. keep saying how much he's made your lives better we we kind of understand that through the through the telling of the story and through the way that the characters interact with him um yeah and we didn't need a bunch of like existential metaphors and like weird puzzle cgi to know that he has a you know a different world view as well All oh that stuff yes was a little the, bit the, strange the, the the computer enhanced cgi was amazing i really loved yeah. that um again yeah it, it didn't it didn't it wasn't really necessary for it to to do that to get us to sort of understand um but it was a nice kind but, of off the wall touch i did it? i did really like it it's, it's those kind of moments that set these these kind of movies apart from the ones that don't have that ambition and don't have that that uh unique quality so i liked the dancing scenes they were very powerful and i liked mm. i liked the random cgi of like supercomputer glasses i i i was digging that um, but but yeah, Kale Ferrin, who played Freddy, is, does a tremendous job in this movie. Um, really Im- impressive, and although although like I said, it can be a bit overbearing in terms of the the the, the messaging, in terms of it being quite on the nose. Um, I think in in general, apart from that, the the way that it portrays it is done a lot better than a lot of the times that movies have kid characters in and make them the central focus. So. Um, what was the film that we watched with um, uh, Chris Evans? Not the ginger one. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> where, where he... Was gifted. It was called Gifted. Oh, Gifted. Yeah. Where, where that had a similar thing to this, where you you appreciated the relationships between the characters not based on... Um, unnatural tension that's been created but just by the way that the characters interacted and the 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 dynamic that was created through their presence and through the dialogue um and this had a similar feeling to that where you you did get that sense of family and you got that sense of community um pretty pretty well actually yeah and i thought that the tension between the two central leads and the love interest that was well paced so even though some of the other stuff felt a bit superfluous the whole time, you know that they're going to get together, but it actually really does take its sweet time getting there. And then when it gets there, it is a big emotional moment. So the emotional impact of that is, I think, the thing that obviously Nicole Conn is really, really good at. And obviously having her 
um, lesbian cult audience who really love these kind of films, you you get why a hundred percent, and I I think that's that's a really really important and powerful thing. Yeah, can I just say it is so nice to see a movie um, about same sex love, which doesn't make the controversy be about it being same sex. No, not <laughs> it, is, it is so nice to have a movie like this, and that was so refreshing. And you know, you you can get movies that talk about the 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 the, the social aspect of it and and discrimination um, in in powerful ways. Um, so, um, God, my my brain has has gone today. But um, Yorkshire Farmers, the film about oh God's own country, God's own yeah. country is that's a, a fantastic, film. and that's the perfect example of how you can tell that story. Um, and 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 talk about discrimination in a way that doesn't feel forced and doesn't feel like you're you're unnecessary adding that tension it felt very natural it felt very real and and um and and you know i i really appreciate films like that but but it is really nice to see movies that that just have um have a same sex couple and i just you know that that's not the co- that's not the source of contention that's not the source of the of the plot direction it's just taken naturally which is it's it's really nice to see it's really nice yeah. to see and um, again we need more of that in mainstream cinema as well yes yeah definitely definitely so they could they could turn they could learn a lot from this film because i think mainstream cinema feels like it still has to do that almost to justify it and it's like actually no no ex- ex- exactly um you you don't need to do that and if that's a story you want to tell um then of course go ahead and do it if you want to tell that story of discrimination and people who are who are have their backs up against the society that's around them and the discrimination that's around them go ahead and tell that but it, that shouldn't be a prerequisite to tell a same sex or or a mixed race couple for instance is another one which drives mm, me up the wall yeah yeah um you know you you shouldn't have to 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 tell that story in that way if that's not how you want to talk about that romance and it seems as though a lot of the time the industry almost pushes people down that path yeah yeah definitely so no this was it was about love between two people and their child as well plain and simple really so and that that was clearly her passion she had a passion for that story and wanted to tell it and it wasn't about yeah it wasn't about anything else really was it no no exactly and 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 i really did enjoy that um that core um story I, I i think the way that they built that romance it was quite a tender romance as well um it felt genuine um even though there's a lot of this movie that does feel very strange you know it does have that tv movie quality um with the guy from third rock from the sun saying i got women coming at me like bullets <laughs> just to be fair <laughs> if your first name was french you would do yeah. wouldn't you? people would be throwing themselves at you for love yeah and I also wrote down that someone at some point says, what are you going to do? Go home and cry about your life? And now I, I now can't remember who said that, but that's a good line. And I'm yeah. going to be saying that a lot. <laughs> I'm going to be saying that a lot. Um, the one negative of this movie that I'd really like to point out, there are two kids being horrible to uh, Freddy. Um, neither one of them gets pushed in the lake. What yeah. is all that about? I really wanted, I, I know that, you know, violence is wrong, etc. But when people are that shitty in such a direct way, push them in the lake. Yeah. The lake is right if, there. Shove them the straight If the people of Bristol can push Edward Colston's statue in the lake, then these kids could get pushed. Yeah, in you lake, can push right? an ableist kid in the lake if other people can push a big old statue in a river. Yeah. You can do it. And that was a horrible scene, actually, because even though the the kind of words that the kids used are like, you're like they're all quite generic, and you're like, actually, you, you think kids are probably more specific than that when they insult each other. But, like... And it was just like totally out of the blue, but yeah, seeing him cry was very, very, yeah, was very powerful. Yeah, and and that kind of took me by surprise because I thought it was maybe going to go down the route of him shrugging it off, um, and and sh- again showing his versatility. Um, so so when it did show him crying at it, he did think, oh god, that's that's really difficult to watch. And obviously, you would have that reaction, um, but um, but yeah, it did it did take me by surprise and. Like I've got my eye on you, kid actors in this movie. I know you are only <laughs> acting, but if I yeah. if I ever see either of you, I'm finding the nearest lake and pushing you in. This is what you deserve. You just know those those kids are going to show up in a baseball movie in like five to ten years, and I'm going to be on the set of it, and I'm going to push them in a the lake. Push them in a the lake. Push them in the lake with the end of your your baseball stick. Baseball stick. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's, what that's it's the called. official yeah. term. The baseball stick. <laughs> it's not yeah. a bat. It's a baseball stick. 
There's only true baseball fans know that. Stickball. It's like it's a hockey club. Yeah. It's the the golden egg. That's what you call a foot it in, sphere. in yeah foot sphere. Uh, the um, the hockey coaster. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you. <laughs> Push it around the table. Yeah. And then put put your drinks on it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, I think we yeah. should become sports commentators, Paddy. A basket globe. The basket globe. Yeah. You know who was really good at the basket globe? Michael Jordan. He was very good at it. We've been watching that documentary on Netflix. Oh, is it good? Is it good? It is actually really good, yeah. And it covers his um, his foray into baseball as well. Did you know he played baseball? I did know he played baseball, yeah. He retired from from basketball in 1993 and then played baseball in 94 and then came back to basketball. Oh, amazing. I didn't... And he, he signed a minor league deal with the Chicago White Sox and then they were going to put... They didn't know where to put him. There are like six different levels of minor league baseball and they put him in at double A. So it goes double A, triple A and then the majors. Mainly because none of the ballparks below double a were big enough to house all the media who wanted to see him play so they went they put him straight in at triple a having not played he was like 31 and hadn't played since he was 17 and he was pretty good oh okay that's good I like uh, terry francona who managed him at the time said that if he'd had like another thousand um appearances at, at the at bat he um he could have made it oh very nice but he came back to um basket globe Ah yes, good old basket globe. Yeah. Um, you put the globe in the basket and you get a point. Did Did you know that um, that Usain Bolt tried to have a career in football? He'd always wanted a career in football. I did not. Um, when he when he retired from from running, um, and um, he, uh, he 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 ended up with an. Eight-week contract with uh, <laughs> with the Central Coast Mariners in Australia, um, <laughs> uh, and then he and then he stopped. Um, so I don't I don't think it went too well for him. Damn, um, which is a, which is a shame. Which is a shame. But yeah, it's, it's always interesting when when sports people they they try out different sports. Yeah, because you know, and baseball is really hard. You know, if you, if it's one of those things that requires a lot of dedication and a lot of time to learn, a lot of muscle memory and stuff. So for him to be able to pick to pick it up just like that, I mean, he played as a kid, obviously, and he's an incredible athlete. But I think it still says a lot about his ability and his dedication as well. And a lot of athletes have that, I guess. I don't believe you. I hear that all sports are really easy. All sports are the same. You know, they're all super easy. If you can kick, you can throw. If you can throw, you can hit a puck. <laughs> You can push the the hockey coaster around. You can push the hockey coaster around. (laughs) Oh, I really think we should be doing sports commentary. We really should. What we should do as one of our many side projects is just like get on um, Twitch when some major sporting event that we know nothing about is on and then commentate on it like we know loads. (laughs) We should definitely do that. I think think we should. Here comes the Grand Prix live (laughs) from Monaco. (laughs) See, the problem is that I know... um, I know you you know about car I, sports. I know you? I know all about where you you drive the the car around the track a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'd we'd have to find something that we don't know anything about, or we just fake it's, it. I always think that's kind of a weird thing about you. Actually, you're kind of a dark horse because you don't even drive. But no, you, no, you, you know about mo- motorsports. I do. I know quite a lot about motorsport. Yeah, um, but it, to me, it's just cars driving around. I, I love it's, a bit Mar- of, it's Mario Kart, but less interesting. I love a bit of Formula One. I really do. Um, yeah, maybe we should do that when the football starts up again. We'll set up a, a Twitch stream and we'll actually that that might actually genuinely be funny because you know about football and I don't. Yeah, and I can. And just... then we could do it with baseball with with you. Oh yes, we can do it the other way around, can't we? Given my, uh, you know, I know so much about baseball that I've forgotten it all. That, that's <laughs> how knowledgeable I am. <laughs> I'll make you watch one of the um, Taiwanese baseball games I've been watching at the moment. Yes. They end up being really long as well. It's like three and a half hours long. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for you... long sports. I like Formula One. I like uh, cycling. I like watching the Tour de France. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, let's do... Okay, that's a date. That's what we're yeah, going to yeah, do. Yeah, let's do that when when the football starts up again. When baseball. We don't know if baseball's coming back. Made, um, MLB in America, I mean. But. And we do have the Formula One officially coming back. 
actually. So we could do a Formula One race. Okay, okay. We could, I'm open to this it. Could, uh, this could happen. This could happen. We'll have to work yeah. out how to set up a stream. Yeah, um, of, of Hi, I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> I don't know how to set up a stream. No, I know how to set. Well, I know how to set up a stream, but we need to set up like a stream of the sport in a way that is not going to get us immediately kicked off the streaming service. Yeah, yeah. that's the issue. Um, so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to think about that. We'll think about that. We'll have to do it on the dark web. Yeah, just adverts for drugs everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, drugs and murder. <laughs> drugs and murder and terrible and sports and commentary. <laughs> bad sports commentary and Tiger King. <laughs> Just because that's everywhere. That's everywhere. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> anyway, right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> let's uh, let let's let's let, let's let's round up on on more beautiful having been broken. I have a little factoid for you. Hit me. Um, so there is a tie between this movie and your favourite director, Quentin Tarantino. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so Kayla Radomski plays Samantha. She is in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Um, yeah, so take that and put it in your hat, Mr. That's, I that's... Hate Quentin Tarantino Man. I'll put it in my hat. Um, so she's one of the dancers and there's like an advert that Leonardo DiCaprio's character's doing and she's she's one of the dancers in that scene hmm. um, she must be like a pro dancer then yes, I thought her dancing yeah. in this film was really really good and actually added a lot to it and there was a whole thing about her being a dance teacher like that was her job but they didn't go they didn't show loads of that it was just that was a fact but the idea that she would teach but also that's clearly a passion for her that almost felt like a metaphor for Nicole Conn's passion for filmmaking as well. Not to get too deep about it, but I thought the, the dance scenes came across really well and were really nice to watch. Yes, yeah, I th- I thought they were really stand out, and I think they added they added a level of emotion as well to the film. Um, yeah, which I and really I don't pretend to know loads about dance as a medium as well, but I it felt to me like yeah, there was a real emotional depth to it. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah, it was interesting. It was. It, uh, I think that added a lot. Um, we also then have um, Zoe Ventura, who is uh, Mackenzie in this. She is in Home and Away. Oh, okay. Um, it's not a show I have watched since I was a child. I'm not going to lie. And we were. Were you a Home and Away family? Were you a Neighbours family? We were neither. You were neither. You were too high funny, quality. I felt that. like everyone at school was watching Neighbours, but I was always like, why the fuck would you watch Neighbours? Neighbours is hilarious. Um, yeah, we were a Neighbours family rather than Home and Away, but occasionally neighbors. Home and Away would come on. Home Your nose and taste the flavours. <laughs> home and Away had the better song out of the two. Home, Home and Away, Home and Away. That's how it went. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, it's cool seeing these people that are in other things. Um, and then, if you remember, at university, right, when we were in halls, the, the dinner time would open at, what, 5.45, and then at 6 o'clock, there'd be what everyone used to call the neighbours rush, when neighbours had just finished, and everyone was coming in because they'd been watching neighbours. I was like, why the fuck is everyone watching neighbours? You're 18 years old. You should be drinking and partying and eating pizza and smoking drugs and doing whatever else. Why are you watching neighbours like your parents? <laughs> yeah, I did find that very odd myself, actually. Um, or, to flip it around, why, was, why wasn't everyone rushing out at six o'clock to watch the news? <laughs> they should have been watching reruns <laughs> of The Simpsons on Channel 4. <laughs> Well, yes, actually. That's what they should have been doing. Also, who had a television in their first year of university? No, no. This was, the, like, the common rooms in the halls. Oh, Every, like, we I would always see. be packed. I they were see. never busier than when Neighbours was on. Like, everyone was in there watching fucking Neighbours. What a load of rubbish, eh? I used to judge those people with my long pirate hair and <laughs> scraggly beard. Yeah, we all know that Emmerdale was where it was at. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's all about Emmerdale and Corrie. <laughs> Corrie. I do like that Coronation Street had a serial killer, though. Uh, I appreciate that, yeah. What? Had a murderer. You don't get... Of course it did, because murder's trendy now. You, you don't... Um... 
Um, yeah, you don't get that in EastEnders, do you? <laughs> no, EastEnders is a murder-free zone. Oh, there's murder, but it's not fun serial killer murder. Oh, no, not, not enough serial killers. You're going to go, dear Ross Kemp. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, right, have you got anything else you'd like to share about this? Um, just as well that um, this is clearly a passion project for Nicole Conn and not just from the point of view of it being part of her um, cult independent lesbian cinema oeuvre that she's made a successful career out of, but also um, her own son was born 100 days premature and a lot of this stuff is based on her real life experience as well. And she was, she started, there's a documentary, which I'd actually really like to watch about um, the birth of her premature son called Little Man. And it was originally intended to be a documentary about surrogacy that then became about that when he was born premature. So obviously all of this stuff is actually really, really closely linked to her real life experience. And that I think obviously comes across really, really well and how, how passionate the film is as well, but is a really, really important thing to take into account when assessing film and analysing films like this as well. Yes, yeah. And I, I found that really interesting reading up on all of that too. Um, and again, I'd, I'd really love to, to see that as, as well. Um, and, you know... And I think she also like runs a charity for premature babies as well. So like that's pretty incredible. Yes, yeah, definitely. And, and that kind of passion, um, it really comes across in the film as well, doesn't it? Is, you know, this is more than just a movie and it's more than just a story to be told there's some genuine emotion behind it which i think is part of why i think that it's a bit unfair um the way that it's been perhaps portrayed so far by reviewers yeah really unfair so if you know and it 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 makes you realize that there's uh, mainstream reviewers have a duty to do their research on this kind of stuff as well but i'm just looking at peter bradshaw's recent columns and as well as this there's a couple of other gay romances in there that he's given like low reviews to i'm not even going to read the reviews and then at the top of it is four stars out of five to a pete davidson comedy (laughs) and he's also not only reviewed woody allen's new film but given it film of the week come the fuck on man we're not reviewing woody allen anymore like what planet are you on? Can I say something? What? First off, fuck Woody Allen. Oh, that's not controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck him. Fucking Genuinely, like I I used to enjoy his films and I know we could we could sit here all day and debate separating the art from the artist, but no, the, he his work and his life and all of the stuff around him has caused too much harm to too many people. You just you can't support his filmmaking anymore. You can't enjoy... I personally can't enjoy his films anymore either. And, like, you shouldn't be reviewing his work. It's just not cool. Um, Also, this is what I'm going to say that's controversial. Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, The vast majority of everything that he's made is a pile of old shit. (laughs) No, you you might be right about that. There's maybe, like, one good film every five or six, right? Yeah, if that. Um, I have very little time for that nonsense. Um... Yeah, put him and Roman Polanski and um, Prince Andrew on an island and <laughs> on Monster on Island. Monster island. <laughs> there, there's there's nothing that those three people have in common legally. Um, there's nothing at all <laughs> that they have in common. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, they def- there's nothing that they could use to try and sue this podcast. But you know, maybe just put these three people on an island and then set the island on fire and then we'll see yeah. where the prince andrew can sweat no don't we don't we want to make a show out of it that we can then do commentary <laughs> about on twitch Nonce island well it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> well it streams <laughs> yeah li- live streaming from Nonce island <laughs> um that is spelt n-o N-O-N-S. Yeah, this is not not. It's hard to construe these things on um, on an audio uh, yeah. medium. You probably it? haven't heard it. It's a very very obscure small island. Yeah, it's that's owned, owned by Richard Branson. It's near <laughs> near near Montserrat. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I think these three people that have nothing in common should be put on an island with Michael Jackson's corpse, and. <laughs> 
and we should we should see what happens and commentate it when as we slowly add tiger after tiger after tiger to the island yeah are we going to buy the tigers from the tiger king uh i think we should probably liberate them from the tiger king yeah that that's what i mean like they they could have their glorious liberation and then give us glorious liberation from three people and a corpse that have absolutely nothing in common no, we've we've just chosen them at random because <laughs> we happen to be talking about them. Yeah, completely at random. But you know what, Peter Bradshaw can get on that island as well because <laughs> his opinions are jack shit. And I didn't, I don't know what I expected from a Guardian film critic, but you know, it just clearly does no research and has bad opinions. So I'm re I'm I'm having a quick look through. He gave he gave more beautiful for having been broken, one star less than Trolls World Tour. <laughs> that go, tells you everything you need to know. Go fuck yourself, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Get in the fucking sea. Get, get in the bin. Get in the bin. I'm sure there's some genuinely really good reviews in here, but fuck off with that nonsense. Yeah, I'm sure. This is just just rubbish. <laughs> Uh, a, I'm, I'm I'm looking through to see if there's if there's anything that I've seen of his that um that I he gave a film called The Wretched a bad review which I disagree with because Re- The Wretched is a very fun little horror movie that recently came out. Um, I haven't seen. He's it. done a lo- He gave he gave Call of the Wild three stars. Well, that's obviously wrong. I haven't even seen it, but I know that it's definitely a five-star film. He gave... It's got a dog that was made by a man playing a dog in, like, an animatronic suit. How could that not be good? He gave Emma three stars, which is very unfair. That was a very good film. Yeah. Um, He did give Parasite uh, five stars, though. I've still not seen Parasite. Um, Is it good? I like it a lot. I thought it was... A film that deserved to win Best Oscar. Um, oh God! And then here we are. Here he is saying why the Irishman should win the Best Picture Oscar. <laughs> Fuck off. Um. <laughs> so now that we've spent ten minutes <laughs> shitting on a prominent film critic, he did give Jojo Rabbit one star as well. That's right. I read that review and I thought it was just like he hadn't bothered to engage with it. And that that's why this is so this feels so unfair and why I hated that review as well. And that's why I think he's kind of riled me a bit is because I felt like he just hadn't bothered to engage with it. He'd gone and he'd seen it and he'd looked at it through whatever lens he likes to look at films. But I felt like all of the the, the bad reviews of Jojo Rabbit were the same and just didn't really engage with it and didn't get the sort of the sense of fun about it and the sense of joy about it, despite the subject matter. They were just all... Oh yeah, it's not funny to do this to the. You can't do satire about Nazis. Not even in a pearl clutching way, just in a way by where like people weren't engaging with why that is funny. Yeah, exactly. But also with the heart that the film had as well, and I thought it was a great film. And you know, film critics can go away. He gave Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker four stars as well. So fuck off. That's also (laughs) that's also very wrong. Get the fuck out of here, mate. Three stars at best. Uh, over time my feelings on that movie have got worse and worse was that Um, a palpatine noise that uh, he he also gave knives out three stars so this guy clearly is a fucking bull bag yeah i've still not seen that mate it's it's a good film it is not a three-star film um yeah i mate get out of here there's it'd be cruel to a film like this and write a really cr- it's a cruel review i'm i'm going to say it it's a cruel review yes it's a very cruel cruel review um and there's no time for cruelty in criticism the whole point of criticism is to give a nuanced and engaging take on um on on works and 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 try and give a give an indication of what works are worth and you can't do that if you're going mm. into it by being vicious that's a really, really good point, actually. Like that, you do actually have a duty as a critic to assess the worth of the thing you're criticizing, don't you? I hadn't always, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But that's a really, really intelligent and interesting way to point out that what we do actually, I think, does do that. 
even though we like to ask her out. Yeah, I mean, we did come up with the term shit piece for films that are <laughs> that are nonsense, but that we love. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, may, maybe I'm just skewed because I review video games. Um, so I, I'm particularly touchy about people who don't take criticism seriously. Like, nothing, nothing annoys me more than when I see a critic half-arsing it. I mean, I am a man who had to review a game called Masturbation Simulator. No, Wanking Simulator. Wanking Simulator. Wanking Simulator. <laughs> and you know what? I play games through to the end. So I am one of the two people in the world that has finished Wanking Simulator. Um, I do not envy you that. You, If you're going to be a critic, you need to be wholehearted about it and you need to actually take your job seriously. Um, so get out of here with this bullshit, cruel review of the film that's <laughs> earnest. Yeah. And that's interesting. Because of that, I'm going to add an extra few points onto my score just to spite him, just to spite the yeah. Guardian. Me too. So, yeah. Very, very bad. Yeah. Not that any mainstream critic's opinion matters anyway. Yeah. The true critics yeah. we should listen to are <laughs> podcasters, podcasting yeah. boys like us. Yeah. Who've been doing it religiously almost every week for, you know, 150 plus episodes. So, you know, <laughs> over that time. We've learned nothing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't have anything new to learn. We already knew everything we needed to know. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But no, I think it's actually... I'm really glad that this has gotten us to talk about the nature of criticism and that kind of thing, because it's interesting to talk about that stuff every now and then, isn't it? Yes, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, anyway, right. Sh- and, sh- you know, also to come up with an, an island. <laughs> Non's island. <laughs> Nons Island, yeah. Look, type it into Google Maps. You'll find, you'll find it. You'll find it. It definitely has nothing to do with the word that it sounds like. No, no, not at all. You've got a dirty mind. (laughs) How dare you? Honestly. Yeah. Um, Anyway, right. Shall we? uh, Shall we talk about uh, scoring? Yes. Um. So, how much more beautiful would you have been for having been broken out of (laughs) twenty? That's that's good. I like that. Um, I'm going to give this a 13, should we say. So, you know, there are obviously bits of it that are a little bit clunky and bits of the story that are superfluous and that kind of thing. But I think it's it's a very, very interesting film with a very, very interesting context. And it's really, really important to recognise the passion and the talent that's out there in independent cinema. And this is a, a really brilliant example of that. So I, I do recommend giving it a watch. Yeah, and I'm going I'm to match your score there, actually, um, with a 13. Um, it, it's it is clunky at times. It's a little bit heavy-handed at times. Sometimes the plot feels a little bit too convoluted for its own good. But there's a heart here, and there's an engaging and realistic romance which drives it along all the way. And so yeah. I think those kind of things are hard to come by. And I think that more than makes up for for the shortcomings that um that that the film has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there I think a lot of filmmakers could learn a lot from this film. Yes, yeah, for sure. So yeah, props to that film. Boom. Excellent. Excellent. So it's um it's your choice, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And um I don't like to get too serious on this podcast because it is two guys talking shite a lot of the time. Um <laughs> yeah, that's what people listen to this show. <laughs> but Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, so I thought it might be um, suitable to promote um, a black voice in cinema. Um, I was I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to uh, watch "If Bill Street Could Talk" by Barry Jenkins. Oh uh, yeah, I was I was thinking about this actually. I've been wanting to see this for a while. I've heard nothing but good things. Yes, yes. And I've read um, bits and pieces of James Baldwin here and there, but I haven't read the book either. So, yeah, very good choice. Yes, so that's what we'll have next time. Superb. Awesome. Cool. All right, well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We really, really appreciate it and hope you're all doing well in these, you know, strange and difficult times. You know, make sure that you, you know, stay safe, but also that you, you know, you commit to doing whatever you can to help Black Lives Matter and to campaigning for defunding the police so that they can ride around on wooden horses. Yeah, we want them on rocking horses. <laughs> yeah. Or those little ones where you hold a stick between your legs and you've got to pretend that you're riding one. 
I think that's the main thing because then they can move around. Although it would be hilarious if they were on like rocking horses, but they're all stationary. <laughs> I mean, that would be great because you can't move a rocking horse easily. Can you? The other option is, of course, that they do the Monty Python thing, where one policeman follows them around with coconuts, making the clip clop sounds. Oh yeah, he is brave, Superintendent Robin. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, we'll go. Yeah, one one of those, one That'd of those. Routes. Or like, yeah, there's the, the junior interns who are unpaid who come out. Of the, yeah, go into the police graduate scheme. All they do is like they shadow more senior police officers making like police car noises behind them to pretend they're in a car, like police academy. Yes. Yeah, I'm on board with this. This sounds great. Yeah. Why do you think I took you to all those police academy movies <laughs> for fun? <laughs> So yeah, um, stay strong, stay safe, um, donate, do do what you can to help the cause of Black Lives Matter, and defund the police. Yep, yep, to all of the above. Yep, and we will be back next week to talk about if Beale Street could talk. Oh. Excited about that? Yes, indeedy. Alrighty, bye bye. Alrighty, bye. There ought to be a law, get the sheriff on the bone. Lord have mercy, how she even get them bridges on? That honky tonk, but don't get gone.